friends who have heard the gospel, seen the gospel, perhaps even experienced a miracle and still deny the God who did all of that. You got a friend or a family member who's experienced God in amazing ways and they still live a life of complete and utter unbelief. I don't get it. But unbelief is rampant in our world. And as we begin our study here in Acts chapter 5, I want to give you just a brief history of unbelief. Because it's nothing new. I mean, we look and we say, how could they not believe? How could they have all of that evidence and then still say there is no God or I'm not sure or anything like that? How can that happen? Well, folks, we don't have to go very far in the Bible to begin to see the nature of unbelief because it happens in Genesis chapter 3. God creates everything, makes everything, creates this beautiful world and places Adam and his wife Eve in this incredible environment. And Adam walks with God. Adam hears the voice of God. Adam is given provision by God. When Adam says, I am lacking, I don't have a mate like all of the animals do, um, he gives them Eve. And really at the first known opportunity... Adam rejects the word of God, disbelieves God and sins against the one whom he walked with and talked with. And then he ran away from God. It doesn't take us very long in the Bible before we encounter a nation called Israel. Israel is an interesting nation because it was created out of nothing. There was no Hebrew people. God called a pagan moon worshiper and out of him created a nation. And did incredible things in their midst. I just think about their deliverance from Egypt out of the, their deliverance through the Red Sea. That's an amazing thing. That's really a, that's an incredible miracle. The Red Sea parts and they, they walk across it on dry land and their enemies pursue them. And God covers them over and destroys their enemies. They see his glory by by night and his, the, the cloud of glory by day and the cloud of fire by night. They hear his voice on the mountain and they tremble. They experience his rescue. They, they experience the covenant. God gives them his laws and he gives them their, a covenant. And he says, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell in your midst. And where you are, you're going to set up a camp and I'm going to be right in the midst of you. I'm going to walk in your midst. What do they do? They go into the promised land. They say, God wants to kill us. God wants to kill us. We need to go back to where we came from because the God who brought us out here is is seeking to destroy us. I'm baffled. Solomon becomes king and raises up. He has everything that you could want. He has a good dad. His dad knew the Lord. His dad, David, was a man after God's own heart. There were promises given to him. He knows what he needs to do. And the very first thing he does, he marries an Egyptian woman and and builds a tabernacle, a temple to the Egyptian gods. And then it gets worse from there. We come to the time of Jesus and the Jewish leaders in Israel at the time. They are not isolated from the works of Christ. They witness his miracles. They are undeniable. They hear his teachings. They experience his wisdom. In fact, they wonder, how is it that a carpenter's son has so much wisdom? How does he have so much knowledge? They they hear his teachings, they see his miracles, and their response is, let's kill him. 
Well, then he rises from the dead. And his apostles are filled with the Spirit and they go about doing the same things. And what's their response? Let's kill them too. Unbelief. Unbelief is an amazing thing. And we wonder, how in the world could somebody not believe? Well, 2 Corinthians 4.4 gives us um, one particular answer. And it says, And in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Folks, unbelief is truly and completely a spiritual matter. So today, what I want us to do is I want to look a little bit at unbelief. Because the book of Acts highlights this intense spiritual battle battle in which the church is engaged. You may not have noticed this, but I'll bet you have. We're in a battle. If you serve the Lord in any capacity, I guarantee you, you battle You battle with the world, you battle with Satan, and you battle with your flesh. And the church is engaged in this battle. So as we read our text, one of the things that I think is significant that I want us to point out, really one of the the things that stands out is at the end of our reading, when we get to our reading, you'll see this, but the, the apostles are persecuted, they're literally beaten for their faith. And we might wonder and say, well, that's pretty significant that people can rejoice under such severe trial. But what's even more significant to me is that people can reject what is so clear. So what we're going to do today is I want to consider two negative responses to the gospel and then contrast that with a positive response. So we're going to look at two ways that people display unbelief, but I want us to set it in contrast or set it in opposition to um, really a parallel passage that um, explains or that describes people hearing the exact same message and responding in a positive way. So let's look at Acts chapter 5, and uh, I'll begin with verse 33, and I'll read through verse 42, and then we'll look a little more closely at our text. So listen to God's inerrant word. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Before I delve into this text, I really want to set this. I want you to notice how this begins. And when... And when they had heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. That word enraged is really pretty interesting because it really means that they were cut to the raw, perhaps touched to the raw. They were cut to the heart. And I want to set that in contrast to chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. 
Because in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, Peter just preached his incredible sermon of Pentecost. And the response from the people, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The, the phrasing is, is very similar. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone for whom the Lord our God calls to himself. They heard the gospel message and, there was, and they were cut to the heart. And they said, brothers, what do we do? Peter explained to them, this is what you need to do. And the Lord added to his church that day. Peter now preaches the gospel to the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling body of the Jews in those days. He shares the gospel with them and they are cut to the heart and notice their reaction. It is completely dissimilar. Let's kill these men. They wanted to murder them. Shouldn't be surprised in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. I don't know if I put that up in our notes or not. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13 tells us this. For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God cuts the heart, cuts us. And some respond by saying, brothers, what must we do? And others say, let's silence that message. And this, our text begins with this idea. And, and when they had brought them, they said, oh, I'm sorry. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And we have to answer this question. You know, if you've been here very long, you know what my question is going to be. What is the this that is being referred to? And when they heard this, so of course my question is, what is this? I'm glad you asked. Let me explain to you what this is. This is the gospel. What prompted this reaction, what prompted this reaction was Peter speaking for the twelve the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice his gospel. You know if you, that we have a, a very clear definition of the gospel. When we talk about the gospel in this church, we try to be very specific. I believe we define the gospel. Because if you ask 10 people, go out on the street, ask 10 people, do you, what is the gospel? You're going to get 12 answers. All right? So we thought, if it's the gospel that saves, we should probably make sure that we have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. So we didn't make anything up. We just uh, we, we read some people who were, who were wise. We looked at scripture. And there's a great little book by Greg Gilbert you haven't read it, you should. It's tiny. It won't take you long. And it's, it's aptly entitled, What is the Gospel? We think he summarizes it well. And we'll see. He, probably, he doesn't reference uh, Acts chapter 5, but you'll see we're right on. And we believe that the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, we need to talk about that there is a God who made us, who created us. But we, and therefore we are owned by that God, we are obligated to that God, but we have rebelled against that God, we have sinned against a holy God, and therefore the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid the penalty for that death, and we might have new life in him. Therefore, 
You need to respond. You need to make a response to the gospel. So there it is in a nutshell. Peter has just shared the gospel. And the response is, let's kill these men. And when they heard this, listen to how Peter describes this. The gov- Go up to verse 30. The- Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Here it is. The God of our fathers. There is the God of our fathers, the one who created them, the one who established their nations, the one who gave them their laws, the one who who established a covenant with them, the one who walked in their midst, the ones who talked to him, the one who created them, the one who made promises and revealed himself to them. That God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of Moses, that God, the God of our fathers. It is the God who promised that one day he would send forth a Messiah, that he would send forth one who would save us from our sins. That God, that God, he fulfilled his promise by doing what? He put forth Jesus and Jesus did what nobody before him did. He fulfilled the law. He was not like Adam, who I mentioned earlier. He was not like the nation of Israel, who I mentioned earlier. He was not like Solomon or hundreds of others. And he is not like this group of Jewish uh, leaders in Israel at that time. He failed nothing. Kept the law perfectly. This God raised up Jesus, the Messiah. We begin with God. But you killed him. Your sin. You killed him by hanging him on a tree. You killed him and you considered him a curse. Remember last week we talked about when you hang somebody on a tree, you are declaring that he is cursed. God raised him up, said he's the blessed one forever, and you considered him a curse and you nailed him to a tree. God of our fathers, put forth Jesus. You killed him. Now this is looking bleak. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior. Jesus raised from the dead, payment indicating that payment for sin is accepted. He is now seated above all rule and authority. He is Lord of lords, King of kings, ruler of all, seated in heavenly places, uh, above all rule and authority. God of our fathers put forth Jesus. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And now he is in a position to, to rule and judge. And what does he do? He offers forgiveness and repentance. This is the response. This is the gospel. Peter, what is, and when they heard this, that's what they heard, that God raised up Jesus. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. And now he is granting to you repentance and forgiveness of sins. There it is. And when they heard this, unlike the folks in Acts chapter 2, they wanted to kill Peter. So, and really all the apostles. This actually makes no sense whatsoever because unbelief is irrational. What did they do? They just went back through the gospel or they went back through the Bible and said, look, God has been fulfilling his promises all along and it is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And you can have repentance and forget he wasn't. I mean, they're saying you want to put his blood on our hands. And Peter is saying, I'm offering you forgiveness. I'm offering you. But God has promised and God has promised that he would forgive you even of killing his son, Jesus Christ. Even that has not separated you without any hope from the love of Christ. You can kill him and he'll still forgive you. Their response is, we need to silence that message. That message cannot go forth. We need to snuff it out. We thought we had done it when we killed that rebel Jesus. But now there's a bunch of his people out talking about more about how Jesus has risen from the dead. We need to silence it. So our first response of unbelief is violence. 
Let's kill them. But then we have a much more reasoned voice. We have this guy by the name of Gamaliel. Now, we should note a little bit. We actually know quite a bit about Gamaliel. We know a little bit about him from the Bible. Um, but we know also a little bit about him from some ancient historians. Josephus spends a fair amount of time um, dealing with Gamaliel. So he, we, we do know about, a bit about him. He's a very highly respected rabbi. In fact, he is given a title that very, very few are given. Highly respected, super bright. Like, he's like super, super smart. Probably the smartest guy in that room. Very respected, not only by the other leaders, but he, is, he being a Pharisee, would have been very respected by the people. Now, the Pharisees were a conservative group. They were conservative both theologically and politically. They, the people loved the Pharisees. They were teachers of the law, so Gamaliel knows the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, what we would call the Old Testament. This Gamaliel, oh, by the way, he's also mentioned later on because he has this, his, one of his star pupils, one of his great students. Remember who his, who his great student is? Yeah, Paul the Apostle uh, was a student of Gamaliel. He went to the school of Gamaliel. So that's kind of like, I don't know, if you were getting a degree, think of some subject, it doesn't matter, architecture, and you go and get your Ph.D., from the top architect in the world, the most world-renowned architect, and you get your Ph.D. by studying under that world-renowned architect. Paul is the guy who studied under Gamaliel. So we know quite a bit about Gamaliel, and he's well-respected. And he kind of calms the storm a little bit, because they're the Sadducees, remember there's two groups, Two groups in, in the ruling party. You have Sadducees and you have Pharisees, and I'll let you look up the differences between those two. Um, I won't go into that right now, but it's two kind of opposing groups. Pharisees are very conservative. Sadducees are very liberal. That, that should suffice for now. Gamaliel's a Sadducee, very conservative. And he says, listen, my brothers, we don't need to kill these people. He provides a much more tempered response. He does not respond to the gospel with emotion, but rather he responds to the gospel with reason. But the one thing I want you to know, and his response is, listen, if, if this work is of God, um, there's nothing we can do to stop it. But if it's not of God, then you know what? We, do, we don't want to get in the way of messing with God's work. So let's just kind of hold back. Let's not do anything right now, because if it's not of God, it's going to fail. And if it is of God, we don't want to disrupt the work of God. People have read this speech from Gamaliel and said, oh, what a, what a wise man. I wonder if he's a believer. Must be a believer because he's protecting the apostles. I want you to understand his reasoned response is just as unbelieving as the response, let's kill him. This reasoned response, this, uh, this tempered response seems, <clears throat> seems to be one of of belief, but I want you to understand that his unbelief is just as strong as the Sadducees. He heard the same message. He heard the gospel from Peter. He's heard, he's seen the miracles, he's aware of the resurrection, and yet he is also rejecting the truth of the gospel. He is an unconverted man. And I was trying to think of a nice way to put this, and I couldn't come up with a nice way, so I just put that his unbelief is stupidity. I know we're not to call people stupid, and so I, and I hate to do that, but I couldn't think of a, of a you know, I went to a th- 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 thesaurus.com, and stupid is just, I think that's the only term they had. 
His rejection of the truth breeds stupidity. And Gamaliel's logic is foolish. It's utterly and completely foolish. It's stupid. His, his, His logic is this. God's plan will not fail. As as a good Pharisee, he believes totally in the sovereignty of God. And then he references these two insurrectionists, these two rebels. They were um, terrorists, basically. Theodos and Judas. Now, these guys did some things, and they started for a while, but pretty soon they died, or they got killed, and their whole following fell away, and it stopped. So listen, um, if these apostles, if this Jesus or these apostles are doing something, just let it go. It'll come to nothing if it's not of God. In other words, God's approval or disapproval is determined by the longevity of the movement. I don't know about you, but that's just stupid. That if it's of God, it'll last. If it's not of God, it won't last. Are you kidding me? That doesn't hold water anywhere. And that's not the way we judge truth either. We don't judge truth by, well, it's successful. I've had LDS missionaries come and talk to me and they're saying, but we're the fastest growing church in the world. Well, I disputed that fact. Um, But then after disputing that fact, it's like, but that's not how we determine truth. Even if that is true, let's just say it's true. We do not determine truth in that way. We don't say, well, it's growing the fast. That's Gamaliel's. It's growing. It's going good. And so therefore it must be of God. That is not how we determine truth. We don't discern right and wrong by, well, it seems to be working. Can you imagine living in, in the 20s and 30s of the last century, maybe in Europe? Well, you know, that Hitler guy, if it, you know, if it gains ground and it goes pretty good, then I guess it must be of God. No, no, that's not how we determine truth. And Gamaliel, this utterly, completely intelligent man, applies this utterly illogical logic to this idea, to, to the gospel. All I can say is that in Romans 1, 18 through 22, it tells us that they deny God and they proclaim to be wise and then and they became fools. Let me give you an example. What I'm doing is I'm, I, I want to bring out Gamaliel, who's this really bright guy who encounters the gospel and ends up responding to the gospel with a stupid idea. Let me bring up maybe one of the smartest guys who's lived, Francis Crick. Francis Crick is one of the guys who... Um, discovered and helped kind of unpack and decipher DNA. And he's like way smarter than me. And he utterly and completely rejected the idea of a divine creator. And here is this brilliant, brilliant man. And a man whose research and discoveries have benefited all of us. All of us are better off because of Francis Crick. His explanation for life on earth because he rejected a divine creator is that he concluded that life on earth was brought by aliens. I'm not joking. Here is this really bright guy. He's presented. He understands the gospel. And instead of saying, what shall we do, brothers? He says, well, this must be aliens, which really doesn't solve the issue. It doesn't. It's not a solution to how life got started in the first place. It may answer in his mind, how life got started on earth, but it doesn't talk about how everything came into being. But that's his answer. When you reject the gospel, you end up, when you, unbelief makes us come to really goofy solutions. Bertrand Russell, the very famous philosopher, atheist philosopher, said, if you were to die tonight and you, and you could ask God one question, what would you ask him? And he said, why didn't you give us more evidence? You see, by rejecting the obvious truth, Gamaliel and many others end up spouting 
foolish things, professing to be wise. Instead, they became fools because God made Himself clear. God made Himself known in all the things that He has made. But we have decided to worship the creature rather than the Creator, and we have become fools. And we ask ourselves, well, how can that be? What is it that causes that? I think John 3, 16 and following. You all know John 3, 16. Too often times we stop at John 3, 16. But let's keep reading. Because I think it answers our, our issue very, very well. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here it is. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We hate the light because it exposes our wickedness. And we love our wickedness. And we would rather come up with silly ideas like aliens brought life to this earth than say there is a God in heaven who made all things. A brilliant man can say something like, well, it must be aliens, without any evidence. Or I wish there was more evidence than I would believe. I want you to understand there are two... in. in in one sense, there are two reactions to the gospel. One is kill them. The other is, let's just be reasonable. But I want you to know it's the same reaction because it is unbelief. Peter has, has presented a very, very clear definition of the gospel. And whether we do it through so-called reason or whether we do it through violence, the, the net result is the same. Unbelief leaves people without God and without a Savior and lost in their sins. That's just where they're at. I do want to point out a little bit about our, our 12 apostles. It says, And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. First of all, I want you to understand that as we share the gospel and as we try to live out the gospel and, and, and proclaim the gospel, uh, and we encounter people who don't believe, and I know it's frustrating, especially we've got family members and loved ones and, and people who we really, really care about, and we share the gospel, and, and they and, and they don't believe it. I know that can be just so discouraging. But Luke, I believe, gives us this encounter that the church just doesn't experience triumph everywhere it goes. It encounters obstacles. It encounters difficulties. They encounter getting beat up. So as we look at how the, the apostles respond to these events, the thing that came to my mind was the passage of text that says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because I look at these men and, and I wonder, how do they do what they do? How do they rejoice in being beaten? How do they do that? I mean, somebody looks at me sideways and I crumble for days. Right? Or I look at a person and I say, oh, they would never want the gospel. And that somehow lets me off the hook. And these guys get beaten and they rejoice. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The apostles are beaten for their actions. What ends up happening is the apostles are not only witnesses of Christ's suffering, but they are sharers in Christ's suffering. And they consider that a value. They consider that a treasure. Not only to witness the sufferings of Christ, but to share in the sufferings of Christ. That's our treasure. To remember, these people lived in an honor-shame culture. In an honor-shame, honor is everything. And the honor you experience spread to your family. 
So if, if you had honor, your family had honor. If you experienced shame, your family was shamed. This is the type of culture they live in. And so they beat them. And they beat them because this is a shaming. It is, the, the goal is to silence the gospel. And the goal to silence the gospel would be either by fear or by shame. In other words, you don't want to get beaten again, do you? No. Well, then don't share the gospel. You don't want to be shamed again, do you? You don't want to be embarrassed again. You don't want to be mocked again. You don't want to be belittled by your friends. You don't want to be made fun of. You don't want to be considered some sort of knuckle-dragging, you know, Luddite, flat-earther bigot, do you? Of course not. These disciples were honored to be dishonored, and they were unashamed to be shamed. Shame us, if you will. Dishonor us, if you will. Our treasure is not in the things of this earth. Our treasure is held by the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father. We are heirs of the King, and we are ambassadors of that King. And we, that's where our treasure is. It is not on this earth. Personal comfort, I think, and societal inclusion is not primary to these people. Loving Christ more than anything else is what moved them. And I pray. I pray for my own. So I'm, I'm reading this this week and I'm like going, I, I don't know. Can I honestly say that the love of Christ is more important than anything else? More important than personal comfort? I like some of my comfortable. I like comfort. I like ease. Is it more important than societal inclusion? I don't like people to think ill of me. I want to be liked. Let's silence my mouth. So they encounter this persecution And then I love what they do. They left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And then look at this. Every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. There are so many things here. So first of all, look at the result. Don't teach in Jesus' name. If we go back to chapter 4, don't teach in Jesus' name. And they do, so they put him in prison. Um, Angels break him out of prison, so they go back preaching. They arrest him again. Don't preach in Jesus' name. So we put you in prison again, and, we, and then we beat you. And what do they do? They go right back out teaching the gospel. And I like, when do they teach it? Notice this, every day and without ceasing. I'm just going to take that to mean all the time. All right. I'm sure there were times where they just talked about, you know, ah, that was a good meal, that was a great piece of bread, or whatever. But really, everywhere, all the time, they spoke. And where did they speak it? I love this, in the temple. Where did they get arrested twice in the temple? Oh, and by the way, from house to house. That is, we don't care where. We'll just go. We'll go to where the people are. We're going to go to the temple, to the religious places. We're going to share the gospel in the temple. And if we get kicked out of there, that's okay. We'll go to your house. We'll share the gospel. When? All the time. Where? Everywhere. And what do they preach? What's their teaching? That the Christ is Jesus. I love that phrasing. That is the Messiah, the Christ, who came in fulfillment of God's promise. He is Jesus. You're looking for a Messiah. We know who he is. The Christ. Who is he? He's Jesus. The Christ. The serpent crusher. The blesser of nations. The the, the prophet like Moses. Our kinsman redeemer. The Davidic king. The son of man. The suffering servant. The refiner's fire. That one is Jesus. He's the one who bore our sins that we might stand holy and blameless before Almighty God. That one. And if it means that we, get, we suffer for that name, then that's okay. Our treasure is not here. So let me just close with this. Unbelief in today's passage stems from a hard and complacent heart. Men who thought, these are men who thought they had no need for forgiveness. They thought, we're good. 
We're good with God. And God is good with us. We do not need what you are saying. And the message... Is that me or is that... Okay. The message of repentance and forgiveness spurred violent anger and foolish reasoning. And the goal was to attempt to silence it because that's what you need to do. You need to silence the gospel or you need to repent. One of the two. I'm praying that if you're here today and you have never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that this would be the day. And and even if you've been in this church for a long time, even if you come to church and you've been going to church since you were just a little kid, you've been coming to church every day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you're saved. I teach a theology class at a seminary, master's students, and I make sure I offer them the gospel because I do not assume that just because you're studying to go into ministry that you are saved. You may not be. I don't assume anything. I do want to offer the gospel to you, and um, we would love to spend some time talking with you um, after the church service and during the week. We, we can get together, have some coffee, talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ. What is the gospel? Remember, there is a God who made you, and you are accountable to that God, but we have all sinned against that God, and the wages of sin is death. We will die and live apart from 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 that God who has made us and we will live and we will be eternally separated from Him. But Jesus Christ died for our sins, paid the penalty for those sins so that we can be have, we can stand holy and blameless before God. And I'm calling on you now to just repent and call upon His name. And I would pray also that if you're a believer that any attempt to silence your gospel witness this week, Lord, that you would say, hey, I don't mind being shamed. I don't mind being dishonored. I will share in Christ's sufferings. That's going to take a. That's that's a. That's going to take you being filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. I can't do that. I don't want that. Not in my own natural self. When God fills us with His Spirit and inspires us in that way, we will be willing to do whatever it takes.